One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Leila Latif. I'm Rogan Graham. And I'm Katie Rice. On the show this week, Viola Davis is the woman king. There's a quest to kill Kate Bush on After Blue. And on Film Club, it's Rudyard Kipling's classic adventure, The Man Who Would Be King. All coming up in Truth and Movies, Little White Lies podcast. So we're kind of approaching award season and I think we've got plenty of time for all of uh, all, all of that analysis to start. But I guess I'll just do a little catch up with you both. Um, so is there anything recently, I know we've all been doing a lot of festival screenings and things uh, that have like been some really pleasant surprises for, for autumn? So mine was I went to TIFF for the first time in person this year, which was very exciting. And a film that ended up becoming my favorite of the festival wasn't any of the really big high profile movies. It was a little film that ended up selling to Neon called How to Blow Up a Pipeline, which was just a wonderfully tense thriller beginning to end. And it was based on a documentary. So it it had a lot of um, really interesting real life characters, obviously, because they were based on real people and um it had like it had a strong environmental message but it wasn't overly didactic about it it was just um baked into the story which is about a group of radical environmental activists trying to blow up a pipeline in texas i'd say one of my big surprises is that the tiff lineup looked amazing this year (laughs) (laughs) after last year's kind of dear evan hansen of it all (laughs) I actually found myself really jealous of all of the people at TIFF. (laughs) Yeah, it was it was a great lineup all around. I felt there was one uh, high profile film that I did not like one little bit, uh, which was The Whale. And my thoughts on that are on the record. (laughs) Yeah. um, Here for the Brendan Fraser renaissance. I think that's kind of like a safe thing to say, but I'm I'm not surprised that... um, that a lot of people took against the whale. I think you, you've got a lot of good company there, even though um, Little White Lies Hannah Strong actually did really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. She and I uh, had a conversation about it, actually, which was really 
um, really, you know, interesting. And uh, it was, I like, I get where she was coming from, but I guess we just disagree about whether the movie accomplishes its aims or not. Well, I have to say after sitting through Mother, <laughs> my <laughs> expectations for that one was so low. Um, it, it kind of couldn't, couldn't help but be a pleasant surprise just by, just by not being Mother. Uh, but, but Rogan what about you so you had any kind of pleasant or unpleasant surprises pleasant or unpleasant surprises well I have not started tonight is actually the opening of London Film Festival and uh, last year I managed to get into the after party and was very glamorous but this year is topped because I'm sitting here recording with you lovely people but um <laughs> no so that is to say I, I am behind on festival stuff but incredibly late to the party um, my most recent film watching surprise was Elvis. And I think the biggest surprise is that I didn't turn it off. Um, that is how, you know, my feelings about Baz, you know, it's a love hate relationship. He loves me. I just can't get on board with it. But Elvis, I did, um, I did not turn off and I borderline enjoyed, which is really big thing for me to admit. But yeah, I think that's, if you're talking about awards stuff, I think that that's going to be, I think they're going to be throwing a lot of money behind that one for Austin Butler in particular. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know I'm incredibly late to the conversation on this, but I just thought I'd add in my little two pence. (laughs) It's funny you say that because I rewatched Elvis last night and I liked it a lot more the second time because Mm. I think I got over how insane the the framing device of making it about tom hanks's weird dutch character because i knew that was coming yeah like i was actually just able to enjoy it a lot more yeah well i'm thinking i i knew that was because i watched it so late i also knew that that was coming too so i feel like that probably played a little bit into my watching i was able to go oh yeah i know there's going to be a bit of an accent so i'll just (laughs) you know i'll focus on the austin butler bits and he and he was very good um yeah i will say yeah yeah back when elvis came out uh i don't know if it came out at the same time in the u.s and uk but it came out here back in june and i did a project then where i watched every single actor who's ever played elvis and ranked them all and austin butler ended up quite high in the rankings actually really who was number one kurt russell oh fair enough i I was right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, he did a TV movie it was actually the first movie ever made about Elvis after he died uh, it's directed by John Carpenter and Kurt Russell plays Elvis in it okay okay, that sounds like something I want to watch no idea yeah. existed I th- it's kind of difficult to get a hold of nowadays I had to turn to back alley sources <laughs> <laughs> to the dark web <laughs> 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 well i gotta say i've i've got a soft spot for bruce campbell's bubba hotep elvis mm-hmm. did, did that place decently that placed that placed in the middle for me because he doesn't dance very much and you know elvis true. is all about the dancing austin butler great dancer very true um and yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't resent him if he got some awards glory for this it seems a bit boring that so many of the of, of the acting oscars become kind of lifetime achievement awards it'd be quite exciting to see kind of kind of the big star making turn actually actually do it for once but then again i want will smith to win just for the chaos <laughs> I know. I think he can do it. I think two years in a row, he's got it in the bag. God. Well, I said we wouldn't do, um, you know, award season discourse, but yet, yet here we are. But uh, we should move on to, <laughs> we should awards, uh, move on to one of the big contenders, the Woman King. 
Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member. You'll receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to our Steady HQ page with a detailed breakdown of the plans. Now on to the movies. Set in the West African kingdom of Dahomey during the 1820s, the woman king follows an all-female group of warriors who protect the kingdom. The group's general, Neniska, trains a new generation of warriors to fight against an enemy who wants to destroy their way of life. So, Rogan, I believe you got to interview Gina Prince-Bythewood and you got to review this for the magazine. So you are the official Little White Lies expert on the woman king. I've got to assume that you were impressed. I I was impressed. I was very impressed. I'm going to be totally honest. Um, when I first heard about the film, it was filled with a lot of trepidation. I kind of thought, okay, they're churning out these girl boss action things. And I want no part this uh, you know I, I kind of thought oh god you're gonna take it back in time uh, to try and give it some weight and that and it, you know and it's gonna be as deep as a puddle and I just was filled with fear um and then this summer um I got to see a couple of advanced clips of it and interview the wonderful director Gina Prince-Bythewood and then when I did eventually get to see the full film uh just absolutely blown away I mean the care and the thought put into it the dedication of the actors um is just all so evident in the final product um I mean it's a really complex story it's it's a it's an epic it's a massive historical epic um jam-packed with action scenes but it feels perhaps like you know a 90s (laughs) big budget you know someone perhaps Ridley Scott might have you know given you know the scale of it it's so grand you're just fully in it um and I mean it's really naughty the kind of the stuff it gets into do I think it's incredibly perfect am I going to say that this is radical no it's it's a Hollywood product right but for what Hollywood makes when it comes to stories that you know are about or heavily feature slavery or enslaved people that feature women that are centered in Africa. This is, you know, is going to absolutely surpass um, your expectations. And that's not damning it with faint praise. It's a really wonderful time at the movies. And yeah, I can't shout about it enough, really. Yeah, I fully agree with you, Rogan, about this being um, sort of a throwback to an earlier period of Hollywood epic. I would take it all the way back to like the 1960s, where you would see films like this that were more character driven, you know, that have more to offer than simple spectacle. Because the thing that I liked about it is it has great action scenes. It does have that epic sense of scale, but in the, but it was really held down by a, compelling character-driven story and that to me um is unfortunately a throwback when it comes to Hollywood films no I I do agree and I think I was talking to a friend about it and you know there's always a death no spoilers but there's you know there has to be a death it's a massive action film and you don't and you know you never want any of them to die but like you know how they manage to make you so attached to these women how the actors manage to do it how the writers you know it was it's a real roller coaster of emotion in that absolute best way um and it is down to being that character driven um and really getting to the nitty gritty of like a lot of really heavy issues um in a way that doesn't dilute also in a way that doesn't depress you i don't think um yeah 
Yeah, I think this is a film that kind of, you know, before it came out, there were some accusations kind of being leveled against this, that this was kind of a very like Western view of Africa, not enough care was being um, put into being like, you know, very authentic and exactly historically accurate, which, you know, voices may differ. I know that Gina Prince uh, Prince by the Wood has said that, you know, this is actually a meticulously meticulously researched piece and it was very difficult because there wasn't a lot of you know written historical records about this about these women a lot of it was kind of also done through the eyes of the colonizers so kind of the accounts that we had of them you know were kind of done through a kind of I suppose a kind of white gaze where they were seeking to kind of dehumanize and kind of diminish these women's accomplishments but like Katie for you did it kind of fall into a place of like fantasy uh versus kind of the like the historical accuracy like I I kind of took this as being like not necessarily that rooted in reality but more kind of playing a more nebulous tribute yeah I didn't yeah, I kind of thought of this more, again, I just, I, I want, I really looked at this film through the lens of like a Holly, Hollywood storytelling. And Hollywood mm-hmm. storytelling always sands the rough edges off. But for a Hollywood film, I mean, even the fact that they introduced the element of ambivalence, where the Dahomey are both fighting against, you know, the trade in enslaved people, and also, you know, selling their captives to slavers, you know, just introducing that element of moral ambiguity is more than you usually see in Hollywood films where it's all about good guys and bad guys. But that being said, I, I'm sure they sanded the the rough edges off. Yeah, I, it is a, it is a tough thing because, you know, as we will get on very much into in the film club, like, you know, visions of Africa have been somewhat limited. I'm a huge fan of um, Usman Semben, the Senegalese filmmaker, but you know, when you kind of look at the output of a lot of these African countries, they haven't really had a big role in telling their own stories. Um, did do you think that, like, Gina Prince buys with a kind of de- um, dedication to that was obvious on this film, um, Rogan? Yeah, well, when I interviewed her, I did, I was very nervous because we'd had such a positive interview and then I kind of was running out of time and I was like, okay, here comes the tough question. And it was kind of, this thing of, okay, so you have Black Panther and then you have, you know, Black is King, you have these things. And and my question was basically, you know, why does Hollywood get to decide when it's time to shed light on these stories? You know, because you can, and, and I believe she has the best intention in the world and I believe they're executed. I do in this film, but it's, that doesn't make, you know, the question less difficult or it still needs to be asked. And her answer was, you know, that that's something that she had given a lot of thought, but it's it's what she tried to channel into her casting. Um, so you have Lashana Lynch, Sheila Tim, uh, both British. Well, I believe they're both based in London. Lashana Lynch has Jamaican heritage. Um, Tusom Berdu, who's like an absolute icon um she's born and raised in south africa viola davis obviously african-american she talks about how she said look you know this is our shared history um and some of us but some of us can't trace that we don't know that so we don't know if it's our exact history but at at the end of the day it's still something that needs to be told and i think that isn't an answer that's going to satisfy people but it's not but, but I believe it's a genuine answer and a genuine motivation to spend, 
you know, time and energy and money creating and building a world like this and and bringing this film, this story to life. Yeah, I kind of don't want to get too weighed down in like, obviously kind of the messaging and the the politics and the kind of representation of this film, because I think it also really succeeds just as like a great piece of action. I mean, like Gina Prince-Bythewood, famously, she doesn't do a lot of, you know, people have to do their own stunts. She makes people like train to basically become warriors themselves for her movies. Like Katie, did the action side of things impress you? I was really, really impressed with the opening scene. I thought it was just Mm -hmm. like a really great way to hook you into the film right away. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, I thought the action was very, very well done. You could tell that that, that these ki- these actors had trained to, you know, in the in these styles of fighting. Yeah, it does seem a bit of a shame that, like, particularly, I think Sheila Atim, like, was to me, is such a born action star after watching this. But actually, I think going into their kind of biographies, Lashana Lynch is only is the only one who's really done this sort of thing before. Yeah, it's kind of crazy and it's it's amazing that she like she knew, you know, that they were born to kind of do this. I don't think any any of them used their stunt doubles or I think Viola was the only one who had a stunt double credited. And I kind of um I think it, 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 there's a scene where her character jumps off a very high wall and I've decided that must be the only one time that the stunt double is used <laughs> and I attributed everything else to Viola Davis, but I mean the the fight scenes are incredible. There's great two-handers, lots of... I mean, I think it's one thing that's really interesting. Um, you were saying earlier about how researching for this film, and I don't want to get too into the politics of it again, but how so much of the research was written from the eyes of the colonizer and, and the text were racist, essentially, um, because they're these muscular, dark-skinned black women. And, you know, colonizers, racism, so on. But... The, there's such a great way that femininity is used in this film I, in terms of their fighting. I mean, when they slick their bodies with palm oil, you know, you'll see in so many of the stills like that they're just absolutely glistening. And it's like, yeah, they they moisturise, quote unquote, <laughs> so that like when they're in battle, people, you know, can't get a grip of them. They file their nails to be incredibly sharp so they can just pop your eyes out. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was a great, oh, yeah, that was a good you know. <laughs> And I just think like, you know, bits like that. And it's, it's all, it's, you know, 99% hand to hand combat, you know, it's so, so impressive. Yeah, it's a real want to get in the gym afterwards, but then also think, oh, God, no, I can never. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Katie, I think Viola Davis has made no secret of the fact that she kind of sees this as like a path to Oscar glory. Um, And she's kind of been comparing herself to like, you know, Mel Gibson and Braveheart and, you know, Russell Crowe and Gladiator, that sort of thing. Do you see this as being something that could potentially be that defining role, be the kind of, I believe it would just be the second woman ever to win Best Actress. The second black woman ever. Sorry, Ah, the second woman that would be, yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, I wonder because traditionally the academy um this they like women to suffer (laughs) (laughs) and this is not a film about suffering (laughs) um 
So my God, a film about black women that isn't about suffering. Yeah, I, I don't know. believe it. Who knew it was possible? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I would, I would be pleasantly surprised if they did. I would say that you know it would be deserved, but. Like I said, they they don't tend to, especially like you were saying, reward black women for um, a lot of black women get nominated for you know playing slaves and things like this, right? So mm-hmm. um, I would be I would be pleasantly surprised if she was, I guess. Well, yeah, I was definitely pleasantly surprised by this. I was expecting great things. Uh, for some reason, it premiering at TIFF made me slightly worried <laughs> but it was a great tip this year so there was no need to be concerned um rogan do you want to go first with your scores in anticipation enjoyment and in retrospect so in anticipation i'm gonna say well before i, I had the privilege of interviewing gina i'd say a three then i'd, I'd go for a four um during was like five i was just like eyes wide the entire time completely glued to the screen and in retrospect do you know what I I feel like I'm gonna get accused of giving out fives too easily (laughs) but Mm. when you get me on here I'm like it was amazing um but (laughs) but, um I mean yeah yeah I don't know I no four no no five Oh, go for the five. Enjoy yourself. Oh, oh, do you know what? It's a Wednesday. Go on. It's a five. No, but it it is. I mean, I can't think of a reason not to give it a five. So we'll go for a five. (laughs) Uh, Katie, what about you? Uh, I would say for me, uh, my anticipation was about a three because, you know, I saw the trailers and I was like, ooh, this looks really cool. But you know, maybe I didn't have enough faith in Gina Prince Bythewood to do something different, you know, to do things more her way. Like, you know, like, um, I actually did not see the old guard, but you know, I've thought about love and basketball since watching this film. And, you know, that's a movie that has sports scenes in it, but you're really all about the central romance, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. it, I, I like that a lot, like with the way she does that. Um, so when I watched it, definitely a five, I walked out of the theater, like it's a new kind of Hollywood epic. I was like really (laughs) excited about it. Um, and in retrospect, no, my opinion on it hasn't really changed much in retrospect. I was a little humbled by hearing about some of the history that I didn't know a lot about when I had watched it. Um, but still the film itself, let's give it a five. Yeah, I mean, I would say that there is no kind of criticism of the history that I would say is like massively definitive. I be, I, I think Gina Prince, by the way, and the whole team have like mounted pretty solid defenses against kind of the things that they're being accused of. So you know, it, it, it it's a bit, it's a bit ambiguous. I think I'm probably fours across the board. Um, I yeah, I did see and really liked the old guard. I'm generally a fan of hers. I get since Love and Basketball. I love a female black female director that, like in Love and Basketball, isn't just committed to making women suffer on screen. Um, yeah, and for an enjoyment and in retrospect, I thought it was great. Um, there's a couple of like plot machinations that kind of felt a little bit kind of coincidence heavy and a little bit kind of ch- cheesy melodrama but all for it and I would say 
Prince Bythewood on the whole has just got an incredibly consistent filmography at this point. Like, I, I truly feel she can do anything. I think the cheesy plot points, which I do agree with, but that's also why I said 90s. So. <laughs> Fair. Uh, next up, something very, very different. After Blue. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A chimeric future on Afterblue, a planet from another galaxy, a virgin planet where only women can survive in the harmless flora and fauna. This is a story of punitive expedition. Now, that is quite a weird plot summary, but Katie, would you agree this is a pretty weird film? <laughs> this is a very weird film. Um, this film is, it's sort of in the, tr- like, I thought the world building in this film was fantastic, but the plot was definitely secondary to the world building. And there was one point where I was, you know, kind of sitting watching it and being like, how long are they going to sit here and drink wine and talk about art? And then I remembered it was a French film and you can't really... You can't <laughs> criticize the French for being French, right? Like, it's just who they are. <laughs> um, so, so this film, yes, it does take place on like a futuristic planet. Um, it's called After Blue because blue is Earth and Earth is no longer habitable. And they've moved to this planet where, yes, it's uh, what do they call They say in the film only ovary havers can survive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, I, I guess if your testosterone's too high, you get a virus and die, or you can't survive. I forget the exact reason, but um, don't the- you just choke on your own hair or something? Oh, that's right, Sorry. you do. That's, <laughs> that's what it was. Thank you. No, no, your reason made <laughs> that that would well, that would make more sense. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's this film, though. You know, you really yeah. <laughs> 
So, yeah, it takes place on this planet where, um, yeah, the hair is definitely a factor in it. One of the main character is a hairdresser, and then there's her daughter, and they have to go on this quest to find this uh, villain named Kate Bush. And it, they say it is one word, Kate Bush. Um and the thing that I liked about this film, like I said, was the world building. It's this sort of like psychedelic sci-fi 70s, slightly disco infused because there's a lot of glitter. Um, uh, yeah, alien planet. And uh, so they go on this journey and it's got little hints of like Western elements in it, which mostly in the fashion of the characters, which I thought was very good. Um, but yes, plot wise, it's a little, it's a little thin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to say hour one, I was like, I love this. This mm-hmm. is just kind of pure vibes in, in the best way. This is weird and wonderful and, you know, all here for people hunting down to try and kill Kate Bush, who is not actually Kate Bush. She's just a character called Kate yeah, Bush. Yeah. Just a monster named oh. Kate Bush. <laughs> who has an eye in her vagina. Like, yes, like I was, I, I was kind of soaking it all in. But then when I got to the hour mark, I thought, Shh, what do you mean I'm only halfway? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. It, it kind of uh, slows to a halt, like I was saying with that. Mi- there's a middle sequence where they end up at another artist's uh, house, you know, out in the middle of nowhere in this, you know, um, fantasy wilderness and yeah they they have dinner and talk about art for a solid 25 30 minutes it seems like <laughs> hey Rogan, how was it for you was it kind of a little overly self-indulgent or were you just kind of caught up in the sort of wonderful erotic 80s fantasy of it no all? so I was very much like you and I and like yeah at the first hour I was like oh wow like this is you know great to look at uh you know and then I was like, you know, maybe another 20 more minutes that I could do a nice solid 80 minute film of this. And then it, it doesn't stop for another 40 minutes after that. Um, so it's too long. And I don't know, this feels really reductive and quite, and probably, probably quite mean to say, but I, I it's so kind of, I, I'm 25. So I first got into film via Tumblr where you see gorgeous photo sets and then you try and track down whatever foreign language film it is um and this feels like one of the ones I would really you know hunt for or find a master list of links to films and be bitterly disappointed um after seeing it and be like oh well that was an education you know um it, it yeah there's just not really much there I mean you might kind of the weird value might really you know be appealing to some people you might just be like yeah this is doesn't make any sense it is just kind of vibes but I do think the fact that it's so bloated yeah it just doesn't merit it really yeah uh, that's a really interesting uh point Rogan because like you know I really do think that like Tumblr and the whole one perfect shotification of films does kind of encourage directors to make things that look that'll look great in these snapshots online. Um, and then th- maybe think about the storytelling second. I agree. And I mean, film is a visual medium and all that stuff, but it's like, it's an all round experience. It's everything. And this is really lacking in almost everything, but pretty visuals, I would say. 
if that's not too brutal. Um, yeah, it's not one I'd recommend. I don't know that that's entirely fair. This film is often quite surprising in the stances it's take. It's got a very strong anti-Polish thread. That was bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I was like, what did the Polish ever do to that? To this director, <laughs> like. <laughs> You know, I, I, you know, for all that we were kind of, you know, enjoying the visuals, I was like, what is this messaging that I'm also receiving about the Polish? Well, that is true. And I mean, it went over my head. This, it, I was bewitched, you see, by the visuals that this very bizarre xenophobic messaging went over my head. Well, it didn't go over my head, but no, I know what you mean. It was, it was strong. Yeah, you are definitely right about kind of things being made with the sort of snapshot of them imagined. I had to watch She-Hulk, which I wouldn't recommend to anyone. And like, it did feel that basically that was a film that was designed to be a series of GIFs that would kind of circulate on Instagram and uh, and Twitter. Um, and I would give this more significantly more credit than that. Um, but the feeling I got was, it's just like, this is desperate to be a cult movie. This is desperate to play in rep. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, maybe that's kind of what I would meant by like, oh, this is something that would be really big on Tumblr. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's reminiscent of those days. But yeah, rep cinema works the same, I think. I would really like to see this film as an immersive installation piece. I would love to just walk through an exhibit where they built the world of this film, you know, recreated the sets and you could just kind of walk through and take pictures for Instagram. <laughs> that would be lovely. God, yeah. Um, I would say that is something that I am kind of planning on doing in a couple of months time because I, 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 um, I liked very much the um, documentary or the beauty or the bloodshed fantastic title. But then I was most impressed by how amazing Nan Golding was as an artist. And I found that there is a place in Stockholm that is doing a six building installation where you can walk through all of the videos and all of the clips and all of her artwork and hear the narration and stuff. So that is what I'm doing for my birthday. Um, I'm going to be in your suitcase. See you there. (laughs) (laughs) Take pictures. Right. Yes, Rogan, there is a very cheap Ryanair flight that you can get at seven in the morning and you come back in the evening. We don't even need to pay for a hotel. (laughs) Let's do it. I'm there. Thank you so much for the invitation. (laughs) Katie, please have a look and see what the price is for flights from Chicago. is. Okay. All right. Well, we used to have this great hookup where um, Iceland Air had a um, really good deal. So you could fly from like O'Hare in Chicago to Reykjavik and then go to anywhere in Europe for like three, four hundred bucks US. And that was amazing, but they're not doing it anymore. So we have to, some other country, please step up. (laughs) (laughs) We should get some scores on this before we digress further. Uh, Katie, do you want to start Um, in anticipation, enjoyment and in retrospect? Sure. Anticipation, definitely a four. You know, I saw pictures from this film, saw the trailer for this film, and I went, what is this beguiling universe? Um, Watching it was a three, um, where I had a very similar experience to both of you, where the first 20 minutes I was just enraptured by it, but it went downhill after that. Um, And then in retrospect, yeah, also a three. I do admire the audacity of anyone who makes really weird stuff like this. 
but I wouldn't recommend it to, well, there's like a few people I would recommend it to, but mostly for the aesthetic value. Reagan, what about you? Yeah, well, saying that, I actually think, I was like, oh, I wouldn't recommend it, but now there are people I know who would enjoy it thoroughly for its aesthetics, and it is it's a, it is a beautiful film, but um, in anticipation, I would say a three, because I didn't know much about it going in, so, you know, potential to see a masterpiece, every new film is potential to see a masterpiece, um, and then during, I mean, I would say three, and then that, you know, really dipped to a two, it was kind of, I did find it pretty difficult to finish, and then in retrospect... Uh, I, I don't a two, a two seems harsh I'll give it a three it's not my cup of tea we'll leave no, it no you should give it a two because then it will balance out all these fives that you've been giving this is true <laughs> it, no zero no score no I'll give it I, I, I do think it's a two I mean I, if I did ever recommend it it would be with a massive caveat of like you know maybe put on a soundtrack and just enjoy the visual <laughs> something don't yeah, yeah. Treat it like an installation. Get a projector, you know. But uh, yeah. So I'll I'll give it a two. Yeah, I'm I'm probably um, threes across the board. I mean, now that you mention it, I do think I'm moving house pretty soon. And if I have a housewarming party, this would be quite cool to project on the walls. <laughs> Um, with some Kate Bush playing. I think that sounds like a, a really great vibe, even as we see um, uh, the actual Kate Bush being being hunted down and uh, by a load of people that want to kill her and buried up to her neck in sand. And, you know, again, an eye in her vagina. But, <laughs> but you know, yeah, again, I admire the audacity of it all. So, so I, I kind of can't fully discount it. Next up, Film Club. The Man Who Would Be King. The film follows two rogue ex-soldiers from the British Army who set off in the late 19th century India in search of adventure and end up in faraway Kafiristan, where one has taken for a god and made their king. So, Rogan, I mean, like, this is clearly our other side of the coin for the Woman King. Uh, listeners, we have lost Katie. Um, it, it, you know, n- it, nothing, nothing bad has happened to her. Um, it was just, uh, it, it was a bit of a last minute stepping in for her, for which we are incredibly grateful. But she didn't have time, of course, in her wonderfully busy schedule to, to um, watch Film Club as well. So, yeah, it's just going to be the two of us, two black women, talking about one of, like, one of the more problematic <laughs> depictions of colonialism. But I got to say, I liked it. I mean, obviously, so much of it is absolutely odious. Like, it's based on a Rudyard Kipling story. It's very much about these two white guys who, through their folly, go off into what is now Afghanistan, and they encounter a load of people who range from sort of, I don't know, idiotic zealots to, I don't know, just passive standby people, <laughs> like, in terms of, like, depictions of, like, the people, uh, Edward Said would be very, very unhappy with this, but for my part, like, when I tried to separate the sort of depiction side of things try to think about its merits as a film I really like Sean Connery and Michael Caine together 
I think in later life, they both said that this was the favourite film that they ever worked on. Uh, John Huston, the director, this was like his passion project. He spent decades and decades trying to get this made. It really like fits within the sort of epic of a person going into a foreign land that he was kind of best known for. And like, I just felt that there was almost like a bit of an infectious joy on the screen of like people that were like really doing what they wanted to do in a sense. And I think in a way that kind of parallels the woman king. <laughs> yeah. No, I I mean I begrudgingly know what you you mean. Um it's it it is it is a fun watch and you can tell everyone is having a lot of fun and um it is it, it it's real and I and I mean this in, in a positive sense but it's real like Sunday dad movie like it comes mm-hmm. on BBC2 and you just turn it on and you just keep watching it because you're just loving what Sean Connery and Michael Caine are doing and you just get pulled right into it and get swept up in it and then and then you come away and you think about it and you go oh but um it was it it, it is a it is a lot of fun I definitely I do see the enduring appeal and the kind of I don't know if this is a blank check movie per se but the passion project um is is felt yeah, I think it's someone also, I mean, obviously I'm I'm from Sudan. I grew up in Africa. Like, I care very much about, like, the representations of, of, of Africans. And, you know, I'm also an Arab, so it's like these are kind of dual considerations that I bring whenever I watch something. Um, and, like, certainly to the credit of, um, of, of both Kipling and Houston, there is a sense of like reckoning with like how odious these men are. Like there is a comeuppance that they get. There is, you know, they are not kind of heroes in the way that like maybe I feel more uncomfortable with when I'm watching like Indiana Jones or (laughs) something like that, where, you know, we've sort of got to take these people as being like the moral center. And whilst, you know what I mean? Yeah, the the kind of self-righteousness of of those films, uh, yeah, of perhaps an Indiana Jones or any other kind of conquering film, it, it it's not quite there. You are, I don't know, it, it make fun of the right term, but you know, you yeah, they're not heroes. <laughs> no, I mean, actually, kind of, um, I don't know, spoilers for 1975's The Man Who Would Be King. Like, it it really does not like the ending is like pretty spectacularly dark um which sort of I think kind of leaves on it kind of leaves it on a much more interesting note that like my assumption the whole way through is that like oh this is going to end up quite badly because this is like fundamentally you know it's all about like their hubris and their overstepping the mark and this kind of you know naked ambition that they have but I, I was kind of pleasantly surprised that it actually went somewhere pretty grim towards the end. Yeah, it's. Um, I'm not familiar with the original story, but I'm a bit familiar mm. with Rudyard Kipling. I mean, I have a wonderfully racist story, uh, professor in university, and I'm sure I could yeah. I could tell you that off air. But um, <laughs> uh, so so yeah, no, I'm not familiar with this particular story. But yeah, the darkness is definitely there for how kind of magnetic they are and how drawn in you are you're right that ending is yeah it 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 rounds out I think in a way that 
perhaps redeem it a bit more, you know, looking at it, you know, in 2022, I suppose, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I suppose after The Woman King, particularly, uh, which is, you know, a much better depiction of uh, <laughs> of, of, of non-Europeans, um, that you know, seeing kind of Roxanne, the character, the love interest of Sean Connery, and the way that she is is shown is very like stark in contrast. But it is quite fun to me that that is Michael Caine's wife. Yeah, Shakira. Yeah, I was. I thought Shakira was absolutely magnetic, and one of the things that I found out was that originally was going to be played by a white woman. But John Huston, even in 1975, was like, hmm, I don't know that that's a great idea. So he at least made one good choice in terms of representation. Yeah, he said, sorry, ScarJo, this is not your role. There's no work for you here. Terrible, cheap joke, terrible. But yeah, it is just still such a like incredible, Incredible contrast in terms of switching the white gaze on and off when you kind of watch the woman king and then come to the man who would be king. I don't really know that kind of like that they're on this could be like a, a, a better example. Um, we've certainly got we've all certainly got a very complex relationship with monarchy in light of recent events, but like this is like one of the more damning indictments I've seen of late. No, I think, I mean, I feel like you make a good point. Just even this podcast contrasting it with The Woman King. You do some great double features, like colonial cinema through like two different lenses and just do a whole season that's just comparative double bills. Um, (laughs) And The Man Who Would Be King, The Woman King. I think we've got our first double slot down because Jesus Christ, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, originally I was going to suggest we do another kind of uh, African film and maybe do like a Mohamed Saleh Haroun or Isman Samben as kind of our Woman King Film Club companion piece. But I actually think this was more illuminating. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I'm kind of serious about that programming idea now. That's, <laughs> <laughs> you could, yeah, really start some conversation there. Yeah, I think you, if you think that the Woman King got some, you know, got some controversy on social media i would be very excited to see the response to you announcing that double bill i think we should do it like Layla, we we have to take risks as creatives or creative adjacents um <laughs> in our analysis but um yeah yeah i mean this film i do i do find it quite difficult to talk about i suppose um yeah I mean, I would say there are certain things where I will somewhat die on the hill defending them. Um, I've recently, you know, basically put myself up for a social media massacre by saying that I liked Blonde. But I'm not going to die on the hill of the man who would be king, to be fair. Like, I I, I did actually have a really good time. I, I found myself longing for a sort of, 1970s version of manhood sean connery and michael kane christopher Plummer are just so blooming attractive in this film um and then i had to remind myself that no this was an era that was filled with like you know 
terrible men who couldn't talk about their feelings and <laughs> and, and 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 these guys are also actors so actually in some ways they were very kind of ahead of the curve in terms of being able to tap into their emotions if you've got thoughts on these films, you can email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. That's right, tweet us at LWLies, not me, at Layla underscore Latif. Next week, Halloween finally ends for Laurie Strode and the poor citizens of Haddonfield. New York has a new resident in Lyle Lyle Crocodile, and for Film Club, we're celebrating the re-release of 1987's The Lost Boys. Thanks very much for tuning in, and if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week were Robin Graham and Katie Reif. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Jake Cunningham. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.